Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. There's a lot going on in our country right now, but I'm not going to state much on it today. I think God's word speaks for itself. We are continuing in our sermon series through the book of Acts. Um, And this week, we are reading through Acts chapter 10. I highly want to encourage you guys. Last week, we covered the conversion of Saul to Paul, um, along with the conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch. Um, And I want you guys to really consider reading the rest of chapter 9, which is about some more acts of miracles and wonders that Peter did. Um, But today, we're going to be talking about Acts chapter 10. The sermon title is Feast of the Nations. I'm reading from the ESV. Some of you guys might be reading from the NIV or the NRSV. I highly recommend that. Um, But I am reading from the ESV. That's why there are discrepancies in the text. We are reading God's word. We might not be standing because we are in our own homes. But I pray that we would be taking it in with utmost um, reverence and honor. Acts chapter 10. This is the word of God. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the Bear witness that everyone and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up the, to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized them and said, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? God, I humble myself before you. I am not worthy to preach your word, but you have called me worthy and you have placed me in this position. So God, I thank you for everything that you have done in the hearts of your people for us to all gather here before you. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak mightily through your word. God, I don't understand your plans, but you understand. And we trust in the name of Jesus. We trust in your mighty hand. May your peace wash over my heart. May you hide me behind your cross that only you may be glorified. I pray for those who are hearing my prayer and for those who are not able to hear my prayer. God, that your spirit would enter into every heart in this moment, wherever they inhabit, whatever space they are in, God, that your love would pour into hearts that they would encounter, that they would feel your presence with them right now as we are seated or we are standing. Holy Spirit, 
take us to the next level with you. May we not sit idly by and miss what you are doing, but be magnified in us. Abba, Adonai, we trust in your name. We leave all of our moments, all of our days, all of this moment, all of this time period in your hands. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we go into today's sermon, I want to ask you guys a question. I'm not actually, I was going to ask you guys a question, but I want to share with you guys a little sentiment. Culture is shared oftentimes through food. Now, I might not have fully been able to experience a Jamaican household, but let me tell you, right next to, right next to, um, so Gordon-Conwell has two campuses. Gordon-Conwell has a campus in Hamilton, and Gordon-Conwell has a campus in Roxbury, uh, a little bit south, right? And it's kind of in this very multicultural part of town. Um, it's a little bit more run down than inner Boston, but very, very cultural and very diverse. Um, it's very nice to take classes there because it's so much more diverse than Hamilton. Hamilton's very homogenous, lots and lots of white people. But when you take class in Roxbury, there are people of all different ethnicities, right? And right next to, I remember me and my, me and my friend, my friend Zach, Zachary, um, he's preached in Arise and he's come to our church once. And my good friend and fellow pastor, Pastor John, the three of us, we took Hebrew together on Roxbury campus. And um, every, every week we would go down to Roxbury campus. And after Roxbury campus, we had this kind of ritual where we would do Hebrew from six to nine. Six to nine, six to nine p.m., y'all. Sorry, I needed to reiterate that. Um, and then afterwards, for dinner, for a very late, late dinner, we would stop by the Jamaican place right by, and we would pick up Jamaican, I picked up, I would always pick up jerk chicken. Um, there was like also this patty burger with cheese. Ooh, it was so good. Oh, so good. But like, I was struck by the fact that it was the first time I had had Jamaican food since coming up to Boston. Now, it might be uncomfortable for us to be around people when they speak in a language that is different from us. It might be uncomfortable for us to be around people that are a different culture from us. But one thing that will bring everybody to the same table is food. So though I, I don't, unfortunately, very un very unfortunate about my time in Boston. Um, unfortunately, although I don't have a Jamaican friend up here, I was able to still engage with food, through food, um, with the Jamaican community in Boston, just a little bit, through the people that were there sitting in the restaurant, um, through the workers, and just through our weekly, weekly going. Um, One day I was, I was there and I realized, I don't know, it just struck me. Zachary had said something. We, so the, it was actually four people. It's my good friend, Zachary. My good, um, he's an international from, I believe, Uganda. His name is Matejero and John and I. Um, and one day when we were going to get Jamaican food, my friend looks at me. My friend, I, I had never been able to talk to Matejero until that point. Uh, Matejero looks at me and goes, have you ever had Jamaican food before? And I was like deeply offended and I was like, of course. Like, yes, I've been around the Jamaican community before, uh, back where I'm from. But Zachary was like, he looked at me with a side eye and he was like, but have you gone to a Jamaican place while you were in Boston though? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he like smirked at me and walked away. And... At first, I was a little bit offended by that. 
But I thought about it a little bit more. And I realized, like, there's nothing technically wrong with what he had said. I mean, yeah. Chances are, if I didn't go to, even if I went to, even if I went to Roxbury to take Hebrew, if I hadn't, if John and I hadn't taken class with Zachary Matejero, we wouldn't have gone. Most likely, we wouldn't have gone. And I was thinking about that for a little bit. Even in ministry contexts, when people and cultures have a hard time mixing, a lot of the times, it's not the first thing that you do for multicultural unity isn't just a multicultural panel on racism. Oftentimes, the first event that you'll do that's multicultural has to do with food. In Gordon-Connell, we have this event called um, Dinner for the Nations. I've never gone. I've never gone, just because there are too many Koreans, um, and I don't know what to do with them. But uh, there's, this, there's, this event called <laughs> there's this event called Dinner for the Nations, and like, it's really like a whole, it's like a whole event. Like, Korean people wear hanbok, and like, all different cultural, tribal wear is donned at this gathering. And it's this one time where every single nation is celebrated with food, and all these cultures are represented through the commonality of food. So I want us to be thinking about that. What does food represent to your culture? Now, in the context of this passage, God brings together people who would never mix. Peter, right before this passage, he heals and actually brings to life through a resurrection miracle, a girl named Tabitha. Just the way that God had brought a little girl to life prior, or Lazarus to life prior. Peter here brings this little girl to life. That happens right beforehand. But in our passage today, Cornelius, a man in the Italian cohort called Cornelius, a fully functioning Gentile, but a God-fearer, receives a vision. He says there's a man, Simon Peter, call for him. And he sees this like vision at the same time that Peter has a dream. Now, we've just read it. Peter's dream is quite interesting, and it's a little bit confusing. It says here, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But, but, but Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. So it's a very interesting dream. Ain't nobody ever going to think about a little, like a vast white sheet falling from heaven, but that's what happens. A vast white sheet falls from heaven with all these animals on it. And a voice from heaven says, rise and eat. Now, nobody talks back to God, but Peter talks back to God here. That's very reminiscent of his relationship with Jesus. The chances of him having heard the voice of Jesus is very high. He says, by no means, Lord, I'm not going to have anything that is unclean. But the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And it happens three times. Now, what is the significance of this dream? The first word that calls out to you is the word holy or clean, common, and pure. There are these kinds of words that signify a status of righteousness of various things. So I want to ask the question, and I want to break down a little bit what it means in this time for something to be pure or impure. There are four states, that's three, there are four states um, that things or people could be holy, 
or common or profane, and pure or impure. Now, this is all about holiness, but there are two distinctions. Because when something is holy versus common, that's, that's a more moral, set apart by God. This is about holiness. And then pure and impurity has to do with dietary laws. It has to do with the law of Moses. What is impure? And what is pure? We've learned before that holiness has to do with being set apart by God. Set apart by God for God. But impurity actually has to do with whatever is the opposite of God. So whatever what was considered impure, i.e. carcasses, sick, whatnot, the sick and whatnot, um, whatever was considered impure actually had to do with death. Because death was considered to be the opposite of God. That's why sickness was considered to be such a damnation and a curse. Because something that is in line with death was on you. Now, what does this mean in, in food? Why, was dietary, why were dietary laws so significant in Israeli culture and in Hebrew culture? God's people were either set apart, like people could only be set apart or common. Common is morally profane, morally worldly, in the world, not really. And then holy is set apart for God. The idea of holy people eating pure things, holiness and dietary laws was a reflection and reinforcement of God's election of Israel. The reason why the people of Israel had to eat things that were pure instead of things that were impure, it was an outward lifestyle focus of the internal election and circumcision and holiness that Israel had been given as God's chosen people. And so these rituals and dietary restrictions were in place for Israel to be set apart. They could not just do what they wanted. They could not just live in the in the values of the world, they could not just be common doing impure things, but they had to do pure things in order to reflect, in order for their lifestyle to reflect the holiness, the set-apartness, the chosenness, the election that Israel had. On this standard, we have to understand, because the two different ways, the two different dichotomies, if we make like this kind of like, T in our minds. It's holy versus common, and then it's pure versus impure. Gentiles were both impure and common. All those Jews that sinned might be holy people that have engaged in impure things and thus need to be purified in order to retain their status as holy. Gentiles were neither neither holy nor pure. So they were common and impure. So it was a mix of this ritual impurity combined with this moral profanity. They were not aligned with God. They did not care about God. They could not even approach the temple. Jerusalem, anybody that was a Jew could not mix with a Gentile. This is what I mean when I say the Hebrew, the Hebrew nation state, even when it was a Roman colony, was very, very exclusive. Jewish people did not mix with others. The more devout you were, the more set apart you were, and you did not mingle with other nations. Why? Not just because they were engaging in impure practices, but because they themselves were profane. And this food... It's not that the food, a lot of people think that it's the food that made the person pure. No, it was the food that reinforced the internal election. And the internal election motivated the food. So in, a, in another sense, if I put it another way, the fact that Jews only were able to eat certain things was an outward proof of an internal holiness that set them apart from the world to the point where they were not allowed to be in the same space because there was a ritual and moral impurity to pagans, Gentiles. 
But here we see that Peter is confronted with all of these animals. It says, theologians and historians say that more than half of these animals, if not all these animals, were most likely impure. Peter is confronted in this dream. He's confronted with all these animals. And the Lord says, slaughter it and eat it. And Peter says, no, God. I can't do that. It's impure. It's profane. And then the voice of God, what God has made clean, you cannot call unclean. What God has made clean, you should not make unclean. And he had this dream three times. Peter and three is a very, it's a very, he's got a very deep relationship with three. I mean, three is, is definitely an emphasis. It's, got, it's, an, it's a lot of the times in scripture, the number three is very, it's used to emphasize. Um, even in the Hebrew, the only times when a word is repeated three times is in Isaiah, when the angels of the Lord say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in order to emphasize the holiness of God. Peter disowns Jesus three times. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Peter, uh, Jesus says, then feed my sheep three times. Jesus reinstates Peter three times. And there's like this echo about the, the number three. And, and sure enough, just as it was before, in this dream, God repeats himself three times to Peter. Very big emphasis to the point where Peter cannot ignore it. And Peter is very, very puzzled by this dream. Puzzling, it is very puzzling. It's just, when you think about, when you think about a dream, or when you think about a word that God gives you, you're going to think about your calling. You're going to think about your purpose. Ain't nobody thinking about animals falling from the sky. And then God saying, eat it. And then Peter saying, nah. And then God saying, what God has made clean, you should not make unclean. Three times, and that's it. That's the whole dream. So Peter's like, what the heck is going on here, right? Because like, I, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what to make of it, you know? I want you to think about what the craziest thing is that you've ever eaten or not eaten. When I think about the craziest thing that I've never eaten, I think of poshintang. So, for those of you guys who don't know, in Korean culture, this is called pochintan, right? Yes. In Korean culture, in some parts of Korea, I, it's, okay, it's given as a very derogatory term, and I do not condone racist comments towards Asian Americans, but in Korea, in some parts of Korea, people do eat dogs. I'm sorry, just something just, my body had like an adverse reaction to it. People do eat dogs because it's nourishment and it's called poshintang now I don't know what, whether to laugh or to cry I know both are inappropriate because it's my culture but as an American I will say that it draws a lot of disgust from me if you've eaten it no shame to you I just don't know how to deal with it Right? And so when I think of like the most disgusting thing I've ever not eaten, I think of that. I can't even say it aloud. I can't even say what it actually is in English. So I just call it Poshintang by its name because... Another thing that, I, that's, that might be really disgusting... No, it's not, okay, it's not disgusting to me. It's pretty normal for me, but then I don't like it a lot. Um, so you guys might like it, but I don't like it. And that's... You know, Takbar, I really don't know what to make of my people eating chicken feet. I really, like, I don't know what to make of people eating that. It's, it's, it's a great source of collagen. It's a very good anti-aging properties, y'all. Good for your bones, good for your ligaments. You know, it's very good, very high, high source of um, collagen, but I don't know what to make 
of people taking things that look like a W with nails on it and putting it in their mouths normally. Um, it's because I've never been to Korea before. I'm not shaming Korean culture. I just, you know, there are certain things that gross you out. Like, not, not everybody can eat all, all, everything that our parents eat, right? And I can eat most things. I can eat smelly things. I can eat jungkook I can eat, like, you know, most things that a lot of people wouldn't eat, like all, all sorts of sashimi and all sorts of, like, I'm pretty, like, my, my taste buds are old school. But this freaks me out. Like, it really freaks me out. I don't know. I can never... The, the marinade, the marinade, whatever they do to marinate it is really good, but yeah. So that's what I think of. When I think of something that's like, holy shakratiti, like what do I eat? And then, and then another thing that I think of is, is something that got radicalized and demeaned on during COVID, but I couldn't, I also couldn't fully deal with what to do with it. And you know, it's bat stew. When, when people like cook bats alive in stew and eat it, and the bat is still fully intact, like the head and the body and the wings are still there. And the wing, the claw, the way that they eat it is they hang the claw on the plate and then eat this. It's like a whole bat, like a whole bat just boiled like a whole bat y'all i ain't even seen like i've had bats in in retreat house. like there are bat there have been bats like in the attics of like some places in gordon connell but i've never seen a bat with my own two eyes let alone ate it so like certain things really freak me out right certain of these things that freak me out are reinforced by my own standards and my own human limited judgment, right? Because whatever is hard for me to eat, for other people, it would be normal. A lot of people, a lot of people in America might look at a lot of the things that us Koreans, we eat. For example, like, gopchang, pork intestines. Like, people might think it's like weird, you know? They, because it's literal intestine. So there are a lot of things that people eat, um, like beef tongue or chicken liver or you know the like that other people might find really disgusting but for me it's normal so for whatever just for me and my subjectivity um, and in my limitedness those are three things that really that I have a hard time with now those things are reinforced by my culture those things are reinforced by tra traumatic experiences like the reason why I can't stand this guy is because um, I was forced to eat this guy one time and like somebody shoved it in my mouth like as a little girl you know and I don't know I grew up in New York and like New York <laughs> New York Koreans are just abrasive all right all y'all might wonder why I'm so obnoxious and why I'm so like in your face straightforward but it's because I, I think I can generalize that most New York Koreans are pretty abrasive and when I was younger my aunt didn't understand why I couldn't even touch things she shoved it in my mouth and I was like forced to I could just eat it and I was like, what the heck am I eating? It was so traumatizing. You know? You know? Um, and that's me, like my own traumatic experiences, my own subjectivity. But a lot of the times it's our culture, what's normalized in our society that allows us to eat certain things and allows us to be disgusted by other things, right? It's not necessarily, a lot of us think like, oh yeah, we are, I mean, not a lot of us. A lot of people in America might think, yeah, America's, America's the most civilized, Western civilization, the pinnacle of the human experience, right? The most civilized the person could be. Everybody civilize the savages and like all the what, all the yeah, um, Western way of colonizing every culture um, that could exist. At the end of the day, people are not like that because they themselves are evil, any more evil than we are, but it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. Um, to some people, certain things are culturally more acceptable than to other people. And that's why a lot of us have adverse reactions to certain foods and love other foods. I've eaten a lot of crazy things in my time in New York. Um, and I've learned to just stomach and swallow most things. Um, 
but it's always it's always that you know when you eat something new like it tastes good but then when you figure out what it is you want to spit it all out right and that's how you know like even good food for our taste buds objectively because of our societal notions might become disgusting to us in a matter of seconds for example beef tongue like i had beef tongue in a taco once and i didn't know it was beef tongue it was the most softest thing i've ever eaten then i realized it was beef tongue and i was like what the heck am i eating and i wanted to throw throw up and just throw everything out and but it was so good so i finished it um it's it's all our own societal notions peter grew up in a culture i say all of this this long long example for us to be able to fully get into peter's shoes peter is looking at all these animals that have been reinstated to him over and over again that they are gross to eat that they are not acceptable that they are impure that they don't taste good that they are not acceptable for human beings to eat his whole society looks down on other people that eat those things and then if that couldn't be any worse there's a religious significance to not eating those foods they are ritually impure and go against his holiness the way that he has been set apart in his circumcision to be a man of god of god's people so that's what's going on in peter's mind peter has grown up to eat like a jew like why do we eat kimchi why do koreans eat kimchi or why do why do Japanese people eat natto, right? Because it's been reinforced. Because it's something that is unique to our culture. It is a dish that has been made specifically for that culture and has been completely essentialized in that society. And in the same way, Peter has certain notions that are societally reinforced. Now why is food the way that God distinguishes this breakage of what is impure the overturning of the old covenant right Peter at this point he is very Jewish in the in his customs and his practices and in his food but God had a gazillion ways to explain to Peter that Gentiles are not considered profane and impure anymore. Why does God use food? Because food is about life. I said before that when cultures want to mix, the best way to mix two cultures, the best way to have a space and an event for two different cultural communities to come together is food. And the reason for that is because food is life. Food is culture, food is a way of life. Food is the thing that we need to eat to survive. Our culture, what we stand for is very much so ingrained. Our history is ingrained in our food. There's a whole history of kimchi. There's a whole history of why Koreans eat in the way that they do. It's not just like, "Oh, I decided I'm going to eat like that." No, there were societal conditions, socio-economic situations that led Koreans to develop food in the way that they did as opposed to other cultures. And so when you share food, you're sharing life, you're sharing history, you're sharing heritage. There's so much that you're sharing even just in the sharing of food. It's a very very spiritual activity. So yeah, food is about life and Peter is probably really grossed out just as I am really grossed out and he wakes up from this dream and he's like what the heck is going on i don't know what to do i don't know like i've never i've never talked to god and then god god's never shown me animals before so like i i don't really know how peter must have felt but i think i would have felt like very like what the heck is going on you know what i mean and then right at that moment when peter wakes up from his dream he's like what What? <laughs> What? Like sheet animals right there. 
at his door. People asking for him, saying that a man named Cornelius, an Italian man, a Gentile, is calling for him. That God gave him a vision. He goes to Cornelius' house, where many, many people are already gathered by Cornelius. And it's clear at this point that God has orchestrated this. And Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked why you sent for me. Peter is very honest. He points out the elephant in the room. Yo, it is not normal. And it is not acceptable for me to be here. But God has told me that I should make, not make unclean what is clean by God. God has shown me that he has made everything clean. So I put my presuppositions down. What is it that you need from me? And it's clear that God has orchestrated it. Cornelius then explains his vision. And then Peter preaches the message of Jesus Christ to a completely Gentile audience for the first time. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls while Peter is talking upon everyone who is in the room. They all start speaking in tongues. They all start delighting in the Lord. They all start praising and glorifying God. And then Peter says, who is there to stop these people from being baptized when they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he baptizes everyone that was there. Others hear about this, that Peter went to Joppa and did this. Or Peter took men from Joppa, went to where Cornelius was and did this. And they take issue with it. So when Peter comes back, they're like, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Like they are freaking out. Why? Because what Peter does is not only disgusting, it is societally un unacceptable. It was not just a matter of what is comfortable and uncomfortable. It wasn't just racism. It was a matter of holiness. It was a matter of tradition. It was a matter of what our fathers and our fathers' fathers had teached to us. It was a matter of upholding at his very nature what it meant to be a Jew. What it meant to be a Hebrew man. Peter does not react to these people in anger, but he explains to them in a very detailed way how, not what his opinion is about what he should or should not have done, but exactly the events that God did in his life to lead him to that point where he was baptizing people and eating with them. And it's for the next, like literally they take issue with him in verse two, He's done explaining in verse 18. He takes them through step by step. I had this dream. Cornelius had that dream. I went to him. I preached the gospel. People got saved. And what happens in verse 18? When they heard these things, they, felt, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's how this passage ends. We see here that Peter is struck with a very, very absurd and confusing dream. And then he is approached by God-led intervention by people through God-led intervention. He's approached by people that are not the same as him, that do not look the same as him, that do not speak the same language as him per se. I mean, they should all speak Greek at this point because it should have all been equalized. But they, 
They don't, they're not of the same culture. They don't even mix. They don't even eat in the same house. They don't even say hi. They don't have a single conversation. But Peter goes to where they are and he says, I lay my presuppositions down. You know that this is not characteristic of a Jew to do. But because of God, I am here. What is it that you need? And that leads to the opening of an entire people group, an entire household, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter obeys the move of the Spirit. He observes that the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. He observes that it is his God that is over their heads. And he says, well, if, they, if the Holy Spirit has fallen on them, what, what can I do? And he baptizes all of them. And then everybody else are like, why did you do that? And Peter doesn't get angry, but he explains. To the point where they receive. When we are uncomfortable around others who do not look like us, or worship like us, how do we get? I wrestle because I myself am Korean American and I myself am very characteristic of what a Korean American is or might act like. I would say with some confidence that Korean Americans are some of the most exclusive people I've ever met. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why it happens like that, but it does. Um, there's something about being such a small people group in a large land like America um, and having so many people not be able to understand our own experience um, that makes us so it makes us so exclusive a lot of us I mean Korean Americanness aside a lot of us are from New England New England is also one of the most exclusive and sheltered places I have ever seen. People are very different here than elsewhere. From my, from my experience, there are very, very small, nuanced differences between people in Boston and people in New York where I come from. But those, those small nuances are mostly that people are more reserved, that they're more private, that they don't share what's going on in their lives, and so they're more segregated and they're more like to themselves. Very, very, very private. Very, very every man for themselves kind of culture. Super, super Americanized. And it's really interesting because in, the, in light of all of that, in New England, we are very comfortable. Couple that with the pandemic and we're even more comfortable. We don't gotta leave our homes. We don't gotta go anywhere. We don't gotta see nobody that we don't wanna see, that we're not comfortable with seeing. We don't gotta talk to nobody that we're not comfortable with talking to. And you're faced with this very, 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 very comfortable situation. But what about when we're uncomfortable around others who do not look like us or worship like us? Have you guys ever gone to a black church? Some of us, what is for some of us, what is uncomfortable might be the culture, black churches, white churches, and the like. For some of us, what might be uncomfortable might even be denomination. Are they too charismatic? Are they worshiping and speaking in tongues? Everybody going to the everybody going to the altar, coming before the feet of Jesus. They having an altar call every week. And you're in the back like, ooh, what the heck is going on here? There are a lot of reasons why we are uncomfortable to worship. Whether it be because the people around us don't look like us, or whether it be that the people around us don't worship like us. And what is happening to the Jewish Christians that confront Peter is that they're very, very disturbed and uncomfortable. Not only because Peter has broken 
laws that have to do with holiness, but also because Peter has acted in a way that is very uncharacteristic of his people. And we might get the same way. We might get very uncomfortable ourselves. It might be easy for us to love, love other people, like in our hearts. Yeah, of course, they're fellow human beings just like me. Like, yeah, of course, we're all the same. We're all one body. Like, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But at the same time, how willing are we to get uncomfortable? Jane, though, we're in a Korean church right now. I know you're saying all of this about, about, you know, exclusivity and whatnot, but we in a Korean church right now, and our parents are racist too, and, you know, Korean people stick together, and it's like the only place where we can see other Koreans. I'm not, I want you to know, I am not condemning a Korean church. If I were, then I would be the biggest hypocrite in the world because I currently am your pastor in a Korean church, and I serve on staff for a, a ministry that serves the Korean church of New England. So I, I am not saying that an ethnic church is wrong. But I am saying that there's something about being uncomfortable around people that might not look like us. There's something about an adverse reaction to other people that might not have grown up in the same environment as us, but still know God, still are loved by God, that we must embrace, but we have a hard time embracing. We might be a Korean church, but the doors of our hearts must be able to take the entire church in as the body. Because before we are Korean, we are the church. So yes, I do believe in spiritual heritage. I believe in carrying the spiritual heritage of how God has been faithful to Korea. But I don't think that that means that Korean churches need to be of one ethnicity. I, I don't have all the answers, but I don't think if, if, if churches are to reflect the kingdom of heaven, it is unlawful and unreasonable to only be able to worship in a homogenous church. Or, because even, because God doesn't say like God says, every nation and every tribe to the ends of the earth, they will all worship me. Everyone in every nation. But God's not saying all the nations got to get together and become one nation. And nobody's saying, like, we got to all become one giant, like, blob, amorphous blob of culture and tradition that like, everything else is thrown out the window. And now that we're the church, like, we all got to be in this. That's not it. Like, God loves every people. And he honors and he created every people. And he allowed them to stand. But you gotta understand that we have to be willing to allow brothers and sisters to be our true own. I also wanna address why are the older generation, why is the older generation racist? Why do you think the older generation is more averse to other people that don't look like them? Maybe some of you guys might feel like it's closed-minded, and I think that this, this exists in all people groups. All people groups that are older, like of the previous generation, they're all pretty averse to one another. Why do you think that is? They're often not just discriminatory because, because they want to be, but it's mainly because they've been hurt. There's some pain or trauma of immigration or you know, Americanization that has led them to be ex as exclusive as they are. I was um, at this huge fight with my parents yesterday um, because it was July 4th and my dad brought home lobster and um, I, after like six really wonderful days with my parents, uh, very thick, very thick days, um, 
I was like very, very carefully. I was like, hey guys, can I turn on a documentary? And they were like, yeah, sure, what documentary? I was like, yeah, it's just a documentary about like, you know, Independence Day. And they were like, yeah, sure, why not? And I turned on the documentary 13. Um, I don't know if you guys know the documentary 13, but 13 is about how mass incarceration um, and prison labor has be is the exception to the 13th Amendment, um, which is basically uh, the amendment to the Constitution that all people should be free and that slavery is unconstitutional. Um, but prison labor and prison as an institution of incarceration was considered an exception. And through that, um, the new Jim Crow has continued to be able to thrive. And my parents got really angry. Um, I'm, not, I'm not proud of it, but my parents got really, really angry. Um, my dad got really angry and my mom got really angry and I started to weep because I was like why guys I've been listening to your stories for six days why can't you listen for one hour about what something that matters to me and they were telling me all of their experiences that they've had with black people all the times that my dad was mugged um, all of the times that my dad had to, you know, stop people from stealing and then, you know, get hurt all the times that my mom was treated harshly by other people, by other white people, by other black people, uh, by other people of color. And she and my dad were, they were so hurt. And I, I had initially fought back with them, like, why are you like that? Why can't you listen to me? But then I, I stopped fighting them because I realized that their anger or their reaction of anger is not actually rooted in anger, but it's rooted in pain. So a lot of the times our older generation is reacting in the way that they are because of pain. This is very important to distinguish. Um, there are a lot of different reasons why people in our communities, um, whatever community we're from, might lash out at others for going the distance and becoming uncomfortable and allowing the gospel to reach all different people and allowing the love of God to enter into spaces that are multicultural. A lot of people might lash out, but the reason for that is, is pain. A lot of the times it's about pain, unless you're white. That's a whole other conversation, but, um, a lot of the times it's about pain. And the application of this passage is really important because it's clear in this passage that God says to the privileged, to the chosen, what God has made clean, do not make unclean. It's clear that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done is he has thrown away circumcision in the old covenant and has reinforced a new covenant where every nation, every tribe will worship God if they believe in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is an equalizer that goes across nations and it goes across cultures. The name of Jesus is the only name. It is the only cause. It is the only, it is the only situation, the only name, the only condition where every nation and every tribe can come together in spirit and truth. The application to this passage is that number one, it takes courage and discomfort to follow God in times. But the gospel necessitates this intermingling. The gospel necessitates that the body of Christ not be divided along party lines or culture lines or lines of ethnicity but that the body of Christ be united, even if they are different, in the fact that Jesus, the one equal and true factor, has equalized and leveled the playing field. In order for us to show up in these times, in these racially, politically segregated times, in order for us to show up as Christians, we must carry the name of Jesus louder than anything we've been taught. More than our kimchi, more than our Americanness, more than the 13th Amendment, we must carry
carry the name of Jesus deeper and wider than anything else. The justification for justice and the justification for unity must be the gospel. Aside from the gospel, there is no other name. There is no other reason. There is no other real reason. But it takes courage and discomfort and obedience. It takes risking the peace. Our church is very Republican. But it might take risking the peace to follow God. Because it's not about being Republican or Democrat. It's not about being Korean or white or black or any other race or ethnicity. It's not about being AAPI. It's not about being South Asian. It's not about being of a, of a country in Africa. It's not about being any, any European. It's about being Christian, and that's not erasing race. Like Peter, it's acknowledging the differences, the ways that our cultures have been broken, and acknowledging that Jesus extends past those fault lines. You know that every Jew, that it is that it is very that is very not common for a Jew to come into this. It's very not acceptable for a Jew to come into this space. But God has made it clear to me that what He has made clean, I cannot call unclean. So I'm here in obedience to God. There is no erasing of culture there, but there is a clear distinction that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes deeper than anything, anything. We cannot just point to traditional law. We cannot just point to what has been done and be comfortable. We must disrupt whatever is ungodly to be obedient and follow God. Don't be like me. Don't act out in anger in reaction to your faithfulness. Explain in detail why you are being led to this point so that everybody around you would be able to see what God is doing in your life and glorify God and follow the will of God for his church. God is impartial. He loves everyone. He loves everyone. You must know that. And he is the same to everyone. He approaches people, meet him in different ways. He, he meets people in different ways, depending on who you are. He loves you exactly the way you need to be loved. But he himself is the same. And I have found when there is a sharing along lines of discomfort in the body of Christ, there was revival like no other. Are you spiritually dry right now? Are you hitting a head spiritually right now? Have you been in a multi-ethnic situ- a multi-ethnic church situation in a while? Now, I'm not saying we are the church. We are a Korean church. I'm not saying everybody we got to disband and go and be a multi- and go into multi-ethnic churches, or we got to be a multi. That's not what I'm saying. But have you shared faith? with people that don't look like you. When my faith exploded is when I got to meet black sisters on campus that are still my good sisters to this day. I still cherish our friendship so deeply, but it's when we started to pray together and eat together and they slept over my place and we started sharing prayer requests and we started doing that prayer meeting and that prayer meeting exploded. That's when, that's when my faith exploded. God takes little, little fires of every ethnicity. And when, when we gather in our diversity, in unity, in the name of Jesus, our little, little fires become a bonfire. But in order for us to do that, we must lay down our presuppositions. No one is a second-class citizen of God's people. It takes love of others to embrace our own healthily. God is the same. 
to everyone. You are special, but you are not more special than another person. And our church needs to be with the will of God for the world. We need to be living lives similar to the Jews. We need to be living lives that reflect our status of salvation. And when we are not living lives that reflect our status of salvation, that is when our souls suffer. Do not just feed your soul's comfort, but get uncomfortable. Strike up a conversation with somebody you know that is Christian, but may not be of the same ethnicity as you. Get educated about other Christians of other ethnicities in America. Be willing to engage, not just intellectually and emotionally, but spiritually. Because God is the only thing that can unite us. But for a church like us, it takes humility and it takes refinement to get to that point. A lot of us, because we've grown up in New England, a lot of us might have been also privy to to racist situations ourselves. And if that's you, I want to honor your pain. But we need to be able to engage spiritually and we need to be able to stand with the people that are different from us. But we cannot shut down the voices of our people. We cannot be liberal SJWs about it. And that's, I need to I'm saying that to myself. Because for so long, I've just shoved my values in the faces of my family. But that's not it. Everybody has legitimate reasons for where they stand. It is the name of Jesus that unites people and allows people to stand on a level ground. Not your values. Not my values. But it is the name of Jesus that unites everybody. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.